0: Good afternoon, New York sports fans. I'm Danielle McCartan, and that is Danielle in the daytime. I'll be talking all things New York sports with you up until the Yankees pregame coverage right here on the fan at 3:30. It's a big weekend for the New York Yankees. We'll get into that in a second. The Yankees are playing up at Fenway Park, beautiful park, by the way. Connor Green and I are coming to you live from the Carton and Roberts studio here in Lower Manhattan, and we are working on a weekend like usual. I just want to welcome my normal overnight listeners. I see you guys and the brand new sets of ears that are tuned in. Now, we have a qu- a little bit of change in programming, should I say. Not really, but you know the nor- normal phone number that you guys usually call? We're not using that one today. The phone lines are still down, so we're going to use the contest line. If you're unfamiliar with that phone number, here it is. Take out your phone. If you want to give me a call today, 866. 866- this is the contest contest number, 866 540 nine three two six now we have a capacity of just three three open phone lines on there not the usual five so if you're having trouble getting through you can always tweet me at coach m-c-c-a-r-t-a-n and as always we will load them up with your best content only Yeah, this is the biggest weekend of the New York Yankees season. And yes, like good Charlotte in 2002, they are still holding on to a wild card spot. In fact, there are still three teams, all from the AL East, fighting for those two wild card spots in the American League. Going into Friday night's games, the Red Sox were up two games on the Yankees, and the Blue Jays were down one. That was it. That was the margin of separation among the three of them. More bigger picture, shall we, than just this weekend? This is the most important longer stretch for the Yankees as well. The Yankees now have eight games remaining, all against the Red Sox, the Blue Jays, and the Rays, in that order. And there is still no guarantee that they will make the postseason when it's all said and done. The 2021 Yankees had the deck stacked against them last night and throughout this series. For What I mean by that is entering Friday night's game, they were 1-6 in Boston on the season. And their ace, Garrett Cole, in Boston this season so far, 0-2 with an ERA over 7 going into Friday night's game at Fenway. Both of those things against the backdrop that the Yankees have the third toughest Strength of schedule remaining in the league at that point. Man, actually, in the column where it says easiest opponents on Tankathon, the Yankees don't have a single team listed. The Yankees had to win Friday night's game behind Garrett Cole. No ifs, hands, or buts. And what I was looking for in Friday night's game was simple. The majority of my focus was on Aaron Boone's managerial aggressiveness or timidness in what is really like game one of a postseason series. I came out of it with a split decision, honestly. One, I personally would have started Luke Voigt as the DH, but instead, Boone insisted on Stanton as the DH and Gardner in center field. Why do I say that? Luke Voigt, in his career, hits three sixty-four against Nathan Alvaldi, which is four for 11. I know not a huge sample size, but still and he has one home run. Brett Gardner, conversely, now including last night's game, hits 179 against Ivaldi, 5 for 28, with exactly zero home runs. My pick would have definitely been Luke Voigt. Ultimately, this decision obviously didn't matter throughout the course of the game because the Yankees, who are so hard up and thirsty for runs at times, were able to put up an eighth spot in Boston last night. For a team that averaged 3.4 runs per game versus the Red Sox up until Friday night, they more than doubled that figure in their final run total, which renders my Voight preference irrelevant. The second thing I was looking for, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I actually like the way Boone and his computers managed the pitching staff. Aaron Boone and his computers let Garrett Cole weather some adversity, which is a good thing at this juncture, especially with such a huge lead in the game at that point. And Boone actually let Garrett Cole finish six whole full innings. After Cole gave up that three-run home run at Devers, were there any feelings of worry? I'd say no, because Cole has struck out 30% of the batters he's faced for the third time through the order. That's good for second best in the league. And I also liked how Aaron Boone and his computers yanked Clay Holmes before it got too out of hand. Wandy Peralta entered in the bottom of the seventh with two outs and a runner on first and second. He promptly, in just five pitches, silenced the Bobby, Bobby, Bobby Dahlbeck chance at Fenway with a swinging strikeout that ended the frame. Talk about momentum killer. I also liked how Aaron Boone was not fooling around. Chad Green was called in to pitch the bottom of the ninth with what I think it was a six-run lead at that point while Aroldis Chapman just was tossing a baseball in the bullpen just to stay warm. There was no need for any drama Friday night at Fenway. The choice of green over Chapman exemplified that. And then, hey, Glaber Torres looks to have found his identity at, at home plate in the batter's box. Yes, he hit a home run, but he also, in the top of the ninth, beat the shift and singled through the infield. His hit streak now stands at 10 games. And you know what else? Of course I went back and looked. And what I found, I got to tell you, I, I'm not surprised by. The Yankees moved Gleyber Torres back to second base ele- exactly 11 games ago. So allow him a one-game readjustment, reacclimatization period. I can never say that word. Acclimatation period, reacclimatization, whatever it is. Allow him that one game just to get used to going back to second base and his 10-game hitting streak almost directly coincides with his movement from shortstop to second base defensively. In fact, since moving defensive positions, he's batted 350 with three extra base hits, four RBI, and a 910 OPS. Are you surprised? If you're a fan of my show, you shouldn't be. We've talked about how sometimes just as a player, your level of comfort in playing a defensive position correlates with your production at the plate. And clearly, Gleber Torres is one of those players. Good move, Aaron Boone and your computers. And despite what I just said about Gleber Torres, if I had to choose a player of the game for Friday night's Boston Massacre, it would be John Carlos Stanton. Three for five, four RBI, and most importantly, zero strikeouts. In fact, his three-run, 385-foot home run off Nathan Ivaldi literally put the game away and out of reach. In the third inning, with that swing in the bat, the score was New York six, Boston zero. With their eight to three victory, the Yankees ended the Red Sox seven game win streak, one in which they averaged over eight runs per game. So where do the Yankees stand right now? Well, if the season ended today, I love doing this. The Yankees would hold the second wildcard spot and they'd be taking on the Red Sox at Fenway Park. The Mariners and the Blue Jays are within striking distance, both just two games back from the Yankees. But as Giancarlo Stanton told Meredith Marakovic after Friday night's game, he said, it's in our hands. We have every opportunity. It's what are we going to do with it? Well, if the Yankees sleep, sweep the Red Sox this weekend, they could actually end up hosting the wildcard game. Uh, and the Mets, well, the Mets lost another game, this time in Milwaukee, to the Brewers. The Mets are now, over their last 10 games, 1-9. And they are taking on water like a sinking ship. Iceberg right ahead. I mean, all you really need to know about last night's game was that the Brewers hit three home runs off of Tyler McGill. Javier Baez wore the three-strikeout sombrero, and the Mets were not able to generate much traffic on the base paths at all. Actually, they were only one for three with runners in scoring position. Same old story, same different day. As I checked the standings this morning, the Mets have officially been eliminated from wildcard contention. And here on this show, and I'm sure others, we've always known that the Mets were not going to make the postseason as a wildcard team. With that E next to their names in the wildcard standings, the Mets are, believe it or not, not yet, not technically, not mathematically eliminated from NL East contention. They sit at this very moment, eight games back of the Braves and one and a half games back of the Phillies. And before I get some angry tweets, let's just be really clear, you guys. The postseason is not going to happen for the Mets in 2021. Everybody knows that. Including some of the players on the team, in you know, reading between the lines and what they've been saying to the media. And yet, while the E or eliminated monster has been creeping up the NLE standards, standings, it has not yet cleaned the team from Queens. I'll put it this way Would you, you listening right now, would you want someone to read your last rights when you aren't certain that you're actually dying? No. But with that said, I'm sure by this time next week, the Mets will be officially eliminated from postseason contention. And obviously this next this time next week when I come and talk to you guys again. Then I will tell you that I keep every single promise that I make. I will play taps here in the studio on my trumpet live. Once the Mets again are mathematically eliminated from postseason contention. And you got Francisco Lindor actually shouldering some of the blame for the Mets' disappointing season, and rightfully so, right? He said, if I would have played a little bit better, I knew I could have won at least uh, five to seven more games, basically, for this team. So we'd be fighting for first place right now. I mean, I would not put it at five to seven games for him alone. His war is only three. But the bigger question, the bigger lament among all Mets fans is, well, the absence of Jacob deGrom. Had the Mets had deGrom beyond his last start on July 7th, where would they be? I'd argue that they'd be in tough contention for the NL East lead. What do they say? That's, there's a saying that says like there's, there's a reason why the windshield is much bigger than the rearview mirror. The Mets, they can't afford to look backwards with any type of sadness at this point. They must look forward and they must figure out what the plan of action will be moving forward. There's a ton of questions surrounding the Mets. What will the 2022 Mets front office look like? Who will be managing the team? What about the pitching staff? How many of their players will return and return to playing form? And which impending free agents will the Mets resign? Which will they let walk? Again, there's a lot of questions in Queens for this offseason. And while I don't really want to talk about it right this second, you are going to be tuned in to the right place to talk about all of it. Tonight. Yeah, here's something that everyone already knew. That fun featuring Janelle Monet just told you. The Jets are a young team. And are they ready to set the world on fire? No, not even close. Is that an excuse, though, for their poor play through the first two weeks? Well, maybe. Something that you might not have known. In week one, there were 20, 20, 0 Jets rookies playing in their first NFL game ever. Including their quarterback, and something else you might not have known, because of COVID, there were even 22 second-year players that in week one of the preseason, that was also their first season, first you know, NFL action ever. So when you, I was just trying to add that up. You've got 20 rookies and 22 second-year players that were taking the field for the first time in, in, let's just say, preseason week one. That's a lot. And everyone understands this. But did anyone think that this could be this bad through two weeks? I mean, the Jets have only put up 20 points in their first two games. I mean, I get it. But at what point do Jets fans have to start having this conversation again? You know, the one about a young, potentially spooked quarterback. Will this Jets rookie quarterback be seeing ghosts by Halloween? Look at what Zach Wilson has had to deal with over the course of the first two weeks. Yes, without Makai Becton, who last week... I was surprised to find that he is literally the size of a baby elephant. Yes, I Googled it. So his absence on that O-line cannot be understated. But through the first two games, Zach Wilson has been sacked 10 times on 20 blitzes. That's a 50% success rate for the defense. And Zach Wilson has been hurried 17 times and hit five times on 32 pressures. So bottom line is, when you get pressure, that's a 69% success rate for the opposing defense. And as a result, in that Week 2 Patriots game, Zach Wilson was making some terrible decisions. 25% of his passes were classified as bad throws. Not to mention the four interceptions. One of which, though, wasn't technically his fault. But is this deja vu all over again? This week, the buzz phrase around Florin Park has been Boring football. Is that a deep to the Broncos? Is like at a page uh, out of Belichick's book as in let's tell them we're going to play boring football and go into check down checkmate, then wing the ball all over the yard? No, I don't think so. I think boring football is just that. Boring football. And you don't need me to tell you that. Zach Wilson basically told you as much the other day. He said, It's just being smart with the football and understanding that sometimes in those situations, in games like that, there wasn't checkdowns on those INTs. It's be smart with the football. And that's exactly what you're going to see from the Jets tomorrow. Rich Cimini had a tweet from way downtown on Sunday, and he wrote, Wilson joined Sam Darnold and Mark Sanchez twice as the only Jets rookies to throw four interceptions in a game. The record is Sanchez with five In 2009 against the Bills. Everyone knew where the Jets were going to be. And they expected there to be some growing pains for this team this season. But did anyone think it was going to be this bad? As far as what am I expecting from the Jets in Denver tomorrow? Well, lots of rushing attempts. Lots of high percentage completion attempts. And the Jets playing not to lose rather than to win. I'll have my official pick and score prediction coming up in the 2 p.m. hour. And, of course, I welcome yours as well. I need a hero.
1: I'm holding out for a hero till the end of the night. He's got to be strong and he's got to be fast and he's got to be
2: fresh from the fight. I need a
0: hero. Yeah, just like Bonnie Tyler did in 1984, the New York Giants in 2021 also need a hero. They need a hero desperately to step up for them this week and who will that be well that's going to be remain to be seen but a good friend of the show cynthia freeland indicated on the nfl network this morning that daniel jones could be that guy for the giants this week well that's encouraging to hear if you're a fan of the giants to build off of something a good performance he had last week joe judge said look if we thought we were a finished product at this point then yeah we would be in a lot of trouble but it's a long season we've got 15 more games to play Well, let's not take a page out of that book just yet, coach. Right now, the Giants, according to Tankathon, have the toughest strength of schedule remaining in the entire NFL. Their remaining opponents, collectively, have a 613 winning percentage. In the column labeled easiest opponents, well, there's only one team listed, and that's the Atlanta Falcons. This is, yes, in week three, a must win for the New York Giants. They absolutely have to beat the Falcons at home on Eli Manning's Ring of Honor and number retirement ceremony day. They have to. One, the Giants are dealing with a fan base that is growing impatient and rightfully so. Everyone knows that the NFL is a bottom line business. Joe Judge, as a head coach in this league, all of his experience being with the New York Giants enters week three of this season at six and 12. Six wins, 12 losses. And number two, for a team that is supposed to be as disciplined as the Joe Judge Giants, they are also combating the perception that the wheels are falling off at the Meadowlands. A, they completed 11 penalties, 11 in their loss to the Washington football team and none more damaging than we talked about the Dexter Lawrence offsides call. I don't think it was offsides, but they called it that allowed Hopkins a second chance to bury the Giants with a game-winning field goal. He missed the first one if you if you don't remember, if you if you've forgotten, if you have pushed that out of your collective memory banks, Hopkins missed the first one. Dexter Lawrence was called for offsides and Hopkins made the second one and sent the Giants into a little bit of a tailspin. And don't forget the holding holding call on C.J. Board, which negated a fantastic touchdown run by Daniel Jones in that game, too. And out of that particular drive, the Giants had to settle for a field goal. And might I remind you, the Giants lost by one point. And B, an alarming incident from Week 2 has on the sideline where, you know, big fish wide receiver Kenny Galladay, he was seen yelling at who everyone thought was Daniel Jones. But as it turns out, he was actually yelling at Jason Garrett, does that make it any better of it? Garrett said, he and I had a good visit after the game. It was not an issue at all. And I put some dot, dot, dot here. There's always better ways to handle things as you go forward, better ways to communicate. But it wasn't a big deal to me and to our team at all. I mean, I think we all yell at Jason Garrett through our TVs each and every week. Am I right? But to get caught screaming at your coach on the sidelines on national television, That's really not a good look for this team. This disciplined team with their disciplinarian head coach Joe Judge. But, as they say, winning cures everything. Will the Giants pick up their first W at the expense of the Atlanta Falcons this weekend? I'll have my pick coming up in a little bit. Stay tuned. So let's get it going today. I have set the table for you guys, and I cannot wait to talk with you. The phone number is not the normal one. We're using the contest line today because the normal one is down. It is 866-540-9326. And I am Danielle McCartan in the daytime on The Fan in New York City. Welcome back to Danielle in the daytime here on the fan in New York City. Again, we are using the contest line 866-540-9326. And, and uh, Lawrence Taylor, Phil Simms, Frank Gifford, and Eli Manning. As of tomorrow afternoon, no New York Giant will ever be allowed to wear the number 10 ever again. So joining 12 other Giants, including the three that I just mentioned, Easy e Eli Manning's number 10 will hang from the proverbial rafters forever. Because obviously there's no rafters at MetLife Stadium. What is your favorite Eli Manning memory? I've got two. I've got one off the field and one on the field, and then we'll get to your calls. You know, off the field, you may or may not know about Eli Manning's involvement with Hackensack University Medical Center's Tackle Kids Cancer Program. Well, he's been doing it since 2015. And among so many other things... Manning matches community donations to to Eli's Challenge. He visits the patients and the doctors at the Children's Cancer Institute there. He's part of an extensive media campaign to raise awareness for pediatric cancer. I mean, just so many great things. In fact, I had a girl in my class and on my volleyball team for a few years. I knew her for all four, obviously, through her high school career. And while we were together in those four years, her elementary school age sister was diagnosed with cancer and i was told by her and her mom firsthand and totally off the record about how involved eli manning was so if you've ever seen one of those tacker tackle kids cancer commercials uh with eli manning she's in them becca survived a hard-fought uh battle with with cancer and with help from eli manning so for efforts like this, I mean, Eli Manning won the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award in 2016. With uh, He had to share it with uh, Larry Fitzgerald that year. And then on the field, what is more exciting than third and five from their own 44-yard line with one minute and 15 seconds left in Super Bowl 42? Jarvis Green, number 97 on the Patriots, had an entire handful of Manning's jersey, the back of it, And he's just trying to yank him to the ground. And Manning somehow escapes out of that imminent sack. And he launched a ball downfield to David Tyree, who caught it on his helmet. And the rest is history. So, I mean, for that, I was in college. I was hosting a Super Bowl party in my dorm room. And we went nuts. Like, I cannot think of a single better, more important, more pivotal play in football that I have ever seen. Manning was at the center of it all. And in his 16 years in New York, Eli Manning played more games, 236, than any other player in Giants history. And tomorrow, Eli Manning will take his rightful place among all other Giants legends. He said, even though it is my number, I think it is kind of a celebration of all the teammates and the people who I threw touchdowns to and who blocked for me and the defensive guys who helped get us wins. Football is such a team sport. Well, Eli Manning has not changed one single bit. And I'm wearing his number 10 t-shirt right now. So let's go to the phones. Um, I got to get used to this too. 866-540-9326. First up in the order that you guys called is Jeff in Deer Park. You're up on the fan.
3: Hey, Daniel. I love the Eli memory. I still have my Eli jersey. Oh, yeah. You wearing it? This weekend? No, I don't know. Today, I will throw. Right now, I'm wearing my Nasty Nestor T-shirt.
0: Oh, Nasty Nester!
3: Good one. All right. My point, Nick Gates. The concern of multiple surgeries he did, I think, is infection. And I think it's going to be career-ending.
0: Yeah, there is. There has been talks of this Nick Gates injury being uh, career-ending. Yeah. Um, it was a leg fracture. Um and as of two days ago he's still in the hospital. So that's concerning.
3: Yep, yep. and his injury was also like a torn tendon. So that's yeah. even, I guess the torn tendon, I guess from repairing that they've developed an infection. Yeah. This is just from my my knowledge from yep. this from doing my reading. Yep.
0: Yeah, and and it's certainly it's just, a huge blow to the Giants offensive line because he is was one of their best offensive linemen. Yep. And they said, uh, Joe Judge said, I'd be lying if, from my perspective, if I said no. And that was Judge when he was asked if it was potentially a career-ending injury. He said, I know there are some comparisons to other players. These things are all different. But I know he's going to have the best medical care possible here or elsewhere, whatever we can do. So we are confident he's going to be able to come back. We'll see. His agent... Was also very confident. His agent, uh, John Persley, said, Mark my word, Nick will be back in blue next year. So we'll see. Gruesome injury. You know, terrible. You just never want to see it. You know, Nick Gates going down like that. And then it's put, again, the Giants' offensive line into a tailspin, which, you know, I, I know Daniel Jones is a mobile quarterback. There's only so much he can do. That, as we already talked about, that Giants offensive line, as that line goes, the team will go this season. And right now, it's it's not looking great. Let's go to John in Garfield, New Jersey. You're up next on The fam.
4: How you doing, Danielle? Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for calling in. Appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. So, Glaber Torres is playing pretty well now that he has moved to second. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Gio, I think is playing a decent shortstop, mm-hmm. and then we got LeMahieu playing third. Yep, which I think he's above average, but obviously nowhere near the elite defense that I think Gio brings to the table. Correct. Um, Glaber is a guy that I think the Yankees probably should move in the offseason. season. I like an infield where Gio goes back to third because I just think he locks it down so mm-hmm. well. Yep. Uh, maybe Lemay who back to second, Rizzo at first, possibly, and then maybe go out and get a shortstop. That's those are my thoughts. I think I think Labor's stock's a little higher now that he's playing better, mm-hmm. and maybe this is a good time to sell him high. Um, yeah, listen. I don't know. I I, listen, I, my- I
0: wanted to move Labor Torres last offseason, and you guys killed me on Twitter. But here we are having this conversation uh, like not even a year later. Um, my question to you would be: Okay, you're signing Rizzo. And you're signing a shortstop, so you're blowing by the the luxury tax threshold, yeah.
4: Well, uh, I guess that's true. Well, Good that's point. that's
0: that that's the thing, you know. I would do it if it were up to me. I would I would just blow by it. I would be Dodgers, you know, two point and just do it. Yes, if it were me.
4: Yeah, I agree. I mean, why should the Dodgers? Why should the Dodgers be taking taking the place of the Yankees? I mean, we are the New York Yankees. I mean, right. maybe that sounds like a. <laughs> Uh, Yankee fan talk, but the usual Yankee fan talk, but I think they should do it. And that's just my opinion. Uh, And you obviously kind of agree with me. So that's cool. And what do you think that Yankees will actually do, though?
0: Well, that's the thing there, John. And thanks for the call. That's the thing. Listen, the Yankees are still playing for a postseason berth right here. But what will they do? Depends on what Hal Steinbruder wants to do, because think about it. Yankees have some guys that they're going to have to sign to pretty big contracts. One of them plays in right field and sometimes center field by the name of Aaron Judge. So are they going to just exceed that luxury tax, blow by it like the Dodgers, or not? If they are not going to choose to blow by that luxury tax threshold, they're going to keep Gleyber Torres because he's under control for, you know, they don't have to pay him for a couple more years at least. Off the top of my head, I think it's two more years. So they're going to keep him. He's a cheaper option. And they're just going to keep it the way it is now. But if they're going to blow by it, then, my God, look at all those shortstops that are going to be free agents. Look at them all. Or do you do it via trade? I don't know. I like Seager a lot. But they've already got their backup, you know, they're their, if he were to depart them, they already got their backup shortstop. So, I don't know. Nobody knows. I don't. I don't think anybody knows. It all depends on what Hal Steinbrenner is is going to do with his wallet, honestly. But if it were me, I would absolutely blow by that threshold and just go ahead and do it. Go win a championship. Go be the Dodgers, as crazy as that sounds. Go be the Dodgers, but, but in that same sense, go find yourself as the New York Yankees again, if that makes sense. Let's go Stewart in Brooklyn. You're up next on The Fan.
3: Yeah, good afternoon coach What's up Stuart always a pleasure to always the pleasure to talk to you yeah I agree with you i i i i, 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 I was the ho- Yankees, go blow by it what happened here what happened to when we had George around let him rest in peace did he ever think about luxury tax or did he just think about winning
0: winning that's it
3: he always what thought about winning. He didn't care about the luxury tax. He wanted to put a winning product on the team. And I do remember Hal saying in the fall of 2008 going into 2009, we have a commitment to our fans. And uh, where'd that commitment go? Uh, flush down the toilet. Goodbye. He hasn't done anything. And Like I said, like I've been saying to you and preaching to you for so many months now, we got to get new blood in the front office. Yeah. We got to go in and say to Cashman,
5: "Well, nice
3: knowing you." And it's the same thing to Boone. Goodbye. And we got to get new blood as a manager. I don't know who it's going to be. And I think we got to get a new GM. And Evan said, "Well, the Mets should take uh, Brian Cashman, and that would be fine as long as we could get one or two people, Billy Bean or Theo Epstein, and I would be fine with that. And whatever manager we could find." I think that would be it. Uh, uh, Somebody said, I don't know if it was on your show, Hensley Mullins had a better better background as a manager or manager material than Aaron Boone. Am I correct?
0: Yes, that was my show, yes.
3: That that was your show. And that was 100%. Now, how on God's planet did Aaron Boone beat out Hensley Mullins, who has more experience as a coach and potential manager material? I don't understand that. I know what. Wait, I got the answer for you. Ah, uh, Cashman's puppet.
0: Mm, that's exactly right,
3: sir. That's a simple answer. He's Cashman's puppet, and I'm not already with the puppet, and I'm not with the puppet master. I'm not already. We gotta get some new blood, and we, will we, should we move flavor? Sure. Go get a shortstop. Let's do it. Let's go and do BD. Let's be the New York Yankees like they once were. Yeah. Let's be the number one-rated team. Let's sell our muscle. And guess what? Will, will Hal Steinbrenner
0: do it? I don't think so. Yeah, Stuart, and that, that, and that is, sorry to cut you off that, that is the question. Will Hal Steinbrenner do it? I don't know. And this is a, an interesting conundrum now because if the Yankees do make the postseason, I mean, they've showed you that they, they have no qualms in firing a manager who has brought the team to within one game of World Series, and that was Joe Girardi, and just giving him the axe. We'll see. We'll see. I do agree that they need new blood. I, I, I wonder what a guy like Joe Girardi could have done with a team as stacked as this one. We'll never know. But I wonder. I do often wonder that. And, you know, besides Javier Baez, who was the latest player to join the I-shouldn't-be-wearing-my-precious-jewelry-to-work club? We'll talk about this and this trend coming up. You guys, 877. Nope, wait, that, scratch that. 866 540 9326 is the number to call. I'm Danielle in the daytime with you till about 3.30 this afternoon. Welcome back to Danielle in the daytime here on WFAN in the very beautiful 75-degree New York City. It's a beautiful day outside, and uh, we're taking your calls not on the regular line. Again, we're taking them on the contest line, 866-540-936. 2-6. The regular lines are down and they are working on it. So we'll see. Maybe by the end of the show we'll have them up and running. Hey, you guys, remember not long ago when Javier Baez lost his $200,000 earring in the celebration at home plate? Remember Sandy Alderson out there looking for it with a grounds crew for Baez? What a terrible look for Alderson that was. But that earring, as we've talked about, was miraculously never found. You would think that a $200,000 earring would be quite big And easy to find. That's just me. Anyway, the Don't Wear Precious Jewelry to Work Club has a new member, Packers running back Aaron Jones. Jones, playing in his first game at Lambeau Field since his father's passing from COVID-19 complications, wore a necklace with his ashes in it. And Alvin Jones, the father, had not missed a game in nine years. And on Aaron Jones' second of four touchdowns, it was a black football-shaped little canister Holding the ashes, well, it fell off the necklace and into the end zone. And after the game, Jones said, I scored and it fell off in the end zone, so I'll go look for it. Something Baez didn't do, by the way. But I know he's happy. He'd be like, if you lose it anywhere, lose it in the end zone. I mean, and that's gotta be difficult to find because think about it, a little black little canister with on the field, on the turf with those little black rubber balls, you know what I mean? When you, you know, you know what I'm talking about. That's tough to find. But this story has a better ending than the bias story because Jones tweeted a message the other day and he said, Found, it was a, it was a photo of it, found at 1 45 a.m. Thank you to our trainer, Brian Flea Engel. I'm forever grateful. And he put praying hands, a heart, a dove emoji. I just hope all the players are taking notes. Like, do not wear your precious jewelry to work. I know Jones was, was a sentimental piece. I get it. But it doesn't make it any less precious. It's There are many reasons why jewelry is outlawed from sports at the youth level through sports at the NCAA level. What do these pro athletes have to prove? We already know that they're multimillionaires, but I've seen enough of the chunky gold, chunky diamond chains, the gigantic diamond earrings. Leave it home and in a safe. It has no place on the playing field. Thank you. (laughs) 866-540-9326. Eight six six five four zero nine three two six. Let's go to Lou in Astoria, Queens. You're up on the fan.
2: Hey Daniel, how are you? What's up, Lou? Yeah, listen, I agree with you with uh, Stanton should have played left field, especially in uh in Framework Park, which is a very small left field, you know, he could cover that up very well. Exactly. And Voight in and, and Odor, I mean I mean, especially Voight, those guys got to stay a little sharp because you never know You're not, you, you need them and you got to use them. So uh, I agree with you 100%, especially with Voight, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as uh, as uh, GM, you know, I, I wish that we don't make the playoff. I want chances. I want I want a couple of players like Stanley my Marte. I want uh, shortstop, Correa or Seager. And I think that uh, the team would be better off. But uh, as far as uh, quickly so you can take some other callers uh, with the Jets, Everybody's talking about four interceptions. To me, please, it's only two. Okay, I mean, I mean, it counts, but it wasn't really his fault. That, that's what I have to say. You take care. Yeah. Have a good day.
0: Thanks, Lou. Appreciate that. Um, I, I know not all of the interceptions were Zach Wilson's fault. I know one of them was absolutely not. Um, I'm trying to go back through my notes here. Uh, I know. I think the first one was not. It was off a ricochet. I would. I would attribute three of them to him, though. I, I noted. In the With 5.50 remaining in the half, in the first half, five minutes, let's just round up, six minutes remaining in the first half, I put a note, Zach Wilson was two for five with three interceptions. You know what that means? That means he completed two passes to his green team and three passes to the blue team. Brutal. That was just, I bet it was just awful. It was an awful first half. I mean, at halftime, he had exactly as many completions to the Jets as he, as he did to the Patriots, three. So then I wrote, technically he's six and seven on the day, right? Yeah, okay. At that point, the Jets' offensive line had surrendered zero sacks, so what's what's the deal? And uh, Lou, uh, and, and he was alluding to it and didn't actually come out and say it, but he said he wishes the Yankees don't make the postseason so that they are forced to make a change. You think they would make a change either way if they make the postseason or if they don't make the postseason? I'm not so inclined to think so. I think Hal Steinbrenner, you know, it's one of those things where he he inherited Brian Cashman and he, he just can't pull the trigger on him. I, I don't think he can do it. But he's a businessman. You have to make a business decision. And I think it's it's time's up. I mean... Think about it. Even if the Yankees do get into this postseason, and I know I say week in and week out, I say you got to get in. You got to get into the dance, and then you never know what can happen. True. And I, and we could talk about that a little bit too. Will the Yankees make a run if and hopefully when they get in? Will they make a run? I don't know. But will Brian Cashman be around to see it beyond this season? And will Aaron Boone be around to see it beyond this season? Uh. That's another question. And it all depends on how Steinbrenner. I mean, he is front and center. Gary in Clearwater Beach. You're up on the fan.
5: How are you today?
0: <laughs> Great, Gary. How are you?
5: I'm good. Can't be better. Living the dream down here. You know, my Yankees are a lot of things, okay? Uh, and there are a lot of things that they're not. But one of the things that... Uh, That they are right now is consistent with their executives. Uh, Cashman is not going anywhere. Um, You can rate him, rate him as one of the top three or four executives in baseball. But he's Uh, got
0: one World Series with some other guy's team,
5: though. That was Gene Michael's team, right? Yeah, but he's got three in the nineties, so that was his. That was his work too. Hmm. So, hmm. you know, but you can look at it that way. How but many since two thousand know, and nine? Well, he hasn't. And right. You know what? I don't think anybody has has repeated so far. I don't think. Uh, I don't think that really they're you know they're any better or worse than uh, than any of the other teams. But really, you know, we were, you guys. Talk, are how about talking. how about
0: the Rays that are like head and shoulders above any other team in that division? How about that?
5: I, I think that the Rays are an anomaly uh, right now. I think they're well managed. They're, they're and their upper management does well. They've been they've been at you know uh, bargain baseball for a very long time, and they're very good at it. Well, here and, I'm, I'm looking know, at I'm looking things-
0: at the teams that have a higher winning percentage than the Yankees right now: the Rays, the Red Sox, the White Sox, the Astros. Are, are you telling me they all have exceptional managers and exceptional front offices? I mean, I can keep going if you want.
5: Not all of them, not all of them do, but oh. the Rays do. Okay. The Rays okay. absolutely do. I think Toronto got lucky with their draft and they've got, you know, children of of, of Hall of Famers playing for them that that have been around. But that doesn't uh, make you a good player. I, I you're you're that, a child of a Hall no, of Fame no, player. No, it doesn't
0: make you a good player.
5: No, but they just happen to get lucky and, and lucky. got the ones that are very good. Lucky, but you know, you specifically you, you were talking about shortstop before, and I don't think they're going to pull the trigger on getting anything more than a stopgap shortstop. Which is the reason, reason why Brian
0: got, Cashman needs to go. Don't the Yankees need a shortstop?
5: No, oh, I don't think so. No, I, I think really, I think they have to play the patience game here. Yeah,
3: they because have. Been.
0: They've
5: got three outstanding. Uh, shortstops in the minor league. And, you know, they've got Volpe, they've got, uh, what was it, uh, I, you know, I, Oswaldo, Cabrera, I think. They've got three outstanding shortstops down there. And, uh, and I don't think that he's going to, if, if he thinks that one of them is a year away, then I think that he's going to you know, hold tight and get a stopgap. Well, here's
0: the thing, Gary. Virtually they, 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 all-stars they, they,
5: at every other position. Well,
0: though. sure, but it's not working, right? You can could, you could, you could have an all-star no, not- team, Gary. Come on, you know this. You can have an all-star team like the the Brooklyn Nets, let's just say, and you could not make the playoffs. I, I mean, I'm looking at Anthony Volpe. I mean, his ETA is 2023. Oswald Peraza, his ETA is 2023. Anthony Volpe is an A-plus ball right now. Trey Sweeney, 2024? I mean, come on. Come on. You're going to wait around for that? You're going to play the waiting game that long? I'd hate to ask you what your thoughts on Gary Sanchez are. You're going to still play the waiting game with him, I'm sure. Come on. You're better than that. You're better than that. The New York Yankees have not won anything since 2009. Nothing. And that was Gene Stick Michael's team. You think of Jeter, Mariano, and go down the list. Frank Cashman, didn't have a hundred percent say in in any of those guys. None of them. Come on. Brian Cashman has had been handed the highest, one of the highest, among the highest payrolls in all of baseball for all of these years. And what does he have to show for it? One World Series, just one. He's neglected the pitching. He's sticking by a catcher. He fired a manager, got a new one in to work with a catcher who who stinks. Come on, these are all decisions. These are all decisions that that fall on his shoulders ultimately. And as a result, one World Series since 2009, not good enough for New York Yankees baseball, as far as I'm concerned. Take me. Welcome back to the fan At this 2.06 this afternoon, I'm Danielle McCartan, bringing you all the way up to the Yankees pregame coverage, beginning around 3.30 here on The Fan. It's been a lively discussion so far within this first hour. We've hit on a bunch of topics, including, most importantly, the New York Yankees. Um, As we sit here on this Saturday afternoon, September 25th, 2021, Yankees fans in and around our city are wondering, can these New York Yankees make a real run? Well, We talked about it here last week, and there were a few calls about it on my inadvertent rallying cry for the Yankees last week. I said that I thought somehow, some way, the New York Yankees would capture a wild card spot. Well, with eight games to go, the Yankees are holding on tightly to that second wild card spot, poised to overtake the Red Sox for the first spot and home field advantage with a sweep this weekend. Can they do it? Again, you guys, 877, that phone number is not working. We're going to use the contest line, 866-540-9326, 866-540-9326. If you cannot get through, you can always tweet me, at Coach MCCARTAN. And with all that said, I, I you know, I do hate this strategy. I hate it, but the Yankees are married to it. It's the strategy of... Short starts by the starters, not named Garrett Cole, even then. And then let the bullpen do the rest of the work. I hate the strategy, but the Yankees are so far in, that's what they have to do. And for a while, it was not working for them because there weren't many options in that bullpen. Their arms were overtaxed. And their best reliever, Jonathan Loisica, ended up on the I.L. with a strained rotator cuff because of overuse. But the Yankees now have rested reinforcements that are locked and loaded for the postseason. One, Luis Severino, he faced eight batters over two innings so far, gave up two hits, and most importantly, zero runs. Domingo Herman is activated. He's awaiting deployment, and I would not be surprised to see him eat up some innings in today's game up at Fenway. And then you got Jonathan Loizaga, who might be available as soon as Tuesday or Wednesday. And he is the Yankees' best arm out of that bullpen. And then you couple that with the fact that Glaber Torres is crushing the ball since being moved back to second base. And in those 11 games, he's hitting 350, Three extra base hits, four RBIs, and a nine ten OPS. You know, I'd imagine that when this lineup is fully functioning, because I don't know if we've seen that just yet. I would think opposing pitchers are playing a game of whack-a-mole with it. Like, in essence, which Yankee will it be tonight? And last night, there were two of them. John Carlos Stanton and Glaber Torres. Today, who's it going to be? Well, no one really knows. And because of all of that, the Yankees are poised. The, the Yankees are going to make the postseason. And I would not be shocked if they do it as the the, uh, number one wildcard team. Would not be shocked. Let's see how today goes in Boston, and we'll see. And I've been checking. I don't think we have a lineup just yet. I don't think. I just checked about 15 minutes ago. Once that gets posted, I will bring that to you, of course. A little bit of analysis, a little on-the-spot analysis as well to go along with that. Let's go to Anthony in Orlando, Florida. You're up next on The Fan.
6: Hey, thanks for taking my uh, my phone call, Danielle. For it's, a, it. it's a pleasure listening to you. Um, I just want to make two quick points: one on the Yankees and one on the Mets. And I'll I'll, I'll start with the Mets. Sure. Um, been a Mets fan my whole life. Uh, old enough to have seen Seaver pitch in his prime. Saw Gooden pitch. Blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. Saw some really great pitches in in my in my lifetime, right? Juan Marichal, Steve Carlton, uh, you know, Guidry, the list goes on and on, Gibson a little bit. I'm so tired of hearing about Jacob deGrom and his greatness, you know? I realize, and let me say, when he's on, when he has his stuff and he's healthy and he's on the mound, he is, like, super good, right? But Tom Seaver was Tom Seaver for a reason. Bob Gibson was Gibson for a reason. These guys were grinding innings into late season, striking out batters, winning big games, okay? Yeah, but and, go ahead. And that's something that, that DeGrom has not done for the Mets. He did it one year, right? So I guess my point is that I'm not ready to call him great until I see him stay healthy for an entire season, win 15 games, which is something Tom Seaver did about 12 times, yeah, but, okay. and, and that's it. You yeah, know? But
0: the, yeah, but the thing is this. You, see, this is the whole thing that I, I hate doing any in, across any sport. You cannot compare players of different eras. It's just different baseball. It really is. Well, who was pitching
6: for the Yankees? Who was pitching the big game for the Yankees last night? It was And actually cool. pitched really well. Okay, but right. he only went six but, innings. But, okay, but he could have probably gone a little bit longer. But, the, but see, that's the pitch, point. Right? But that's
0: the point. They, they're yanking these pitchers much earlier than those guys that you mentioned.
6: Yeah, but the point is that he's pitching in a critical game going into October. Yeah, but DeGrom hasn't on. pitched in months. Come that's on. the point.
0: I understand. He, he's hurt. I get that about Jacob DeGrom. I understand. He he's hasn't pitched since, hurt, hasn't pitched since July 7th. He hasn't pitched since July 7th. What about the team around him? The team around him, I mean, I, they stink. I agree. Did did we did not Siever have this have, conversation in a while?
6: Come on. Did Seaver have a great team? Seaver won a World Series. Seriously. Did Seaver have did Seaver have one great oh, hitter on. on his team? Come on. They come won. on.
0: Come on. You they cannot compare. You, you can't do this. You cannot compare Jacob. Listen, Jacob Degrom. I'm looking at uh his season this so so far, uh this current season. Eclipsing uh-huh. Gibson in every category that a pitcher can control: opposing batting average, opponent uh, OPS. You oh, but have to he can't look at those. Control
6: his health, his health isn't under his control. Whose Actually, control is that under.
0: I, um, listen, I have a I have a strained rotator cuff right now. I don't know how the hell it happened. Right now, I'm sitting here with yeah, it. I, I can't control it either. But
6: I can't excuse him for his injury. You know, we can go through Come history on. and point to great athletes you just that had did, but you just did terrible that. injuries, okay?
0: Yeah, like, give me one. All yeah, right, name one.
6: Me. Go ahead. Tell me one. What? G- great athletes that had terrible injuries? You Where brought the point up. It's a
0: ridiculous point. Mickey It's a ridiculous point. How about Mickey Mantle?
6: About point? Mickey Mantle? Mood point. Ridiculous. Mickey Mantle's in mood
0: pointing. No, would the hit point are the the they if trying to make, bro. Anthony, you're like a clown. This is like a clown call. You're making like, ridiculous points here. Jacob deGrom is one of the best pitchers to ever take the field for the
6: Mets. Period. That's nonsense. <laughs> and I think that's nonsense. Okay, Anthony. When the guy's pitching meaningful baseball oh, okay. in September okay. and October, talk oh, let me. It. Before, so let before it I let you go. No, I'm Anthony, before,
0: hold on. This is my show. Okay. Okay? Here's how this works. I talk, you listen. And then we have a nice, t- okay. you don't talk over me. Okay. I feel like I'm back in my classroom. Okay. okay? So well, let don't me ask call
6: you. me a clown though, because I'm not this, a clown. No, I did not call so you a clown. I said, that. this
0: is a clown phone call, Anthony. I did not call okay. you a clown. That's a difference. Okay. 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 Mm-hmm. Uh, you made me forget what I was going to say now. Uh, Jacob deGrom, you made me totally forget what I was going to
6: say. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Hmm. Can I make a, I make a comment about Cashman really quick? Yeah, and, I, and if the thing comes back to me, I'll write it down. To, Go ahead. Everybody wants to get rid of Cashman, mm-hmm. right? You know, going back to well, first of all, the Yankees were in two World Series with Cashman as GM that they lost, right? So he's actually been to two more World Series than than what we give him credit for. But that said, um going back to the 90s team, you know, there was a team called the Atlanta Braves that if I'm not mistaken, they had four Hall of Fame pitchers on they won one World Series, you know? And what was the difference? The difference was the was the decisions that Cashman went out and made at that time and made them better than the Braves. Otherwise, maybe the Braves have four rings in the 90s. Who did the Braves have on offense, right? They didn't have Listen, too I much.
0: I don't know. I was 10 years old. I don't know.
6: Well, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't like an old man at that time, but I'm just saying that we have to look at his whole body of record. And I don't think there's too many GMs that – have done the amount of transactions that he's done and trades that he's made to help the Yankees, including Rizzo and and Gallo. And we don't know how good those are going to turn out to be because if the Yankees do make it to the ALCS and Rizzo and Gallo are instrumental in them getting to the World Series, Mm -hmm. then he's going to be a genius for that too. So I'm just saying Mm -hmm. anytime the Mets want to hire Cashman, if Cashman wants to... If the Yankees fire Cashman and the Mets want to pick him up, I'd be more than happy uh, having Brian Cashman as my GM. And you know what? I would take Girardi as my manager as well. well uh, not Girardi, but I would take Boone as my manager as well. well then Have that, a great day.
0: Wait, wait. I, I remembered it. I wrote it down. Anthony, the <laughs> year ahead. I remembered it as you were talking. The year that Jacob deGrom won the Cy Young Award with that ridiculous, ridiculously bad record,
6: do you think that he mm-hmm. deserved it?
5: That I, I I do
6: and, and do. he very well had he pitched had he finished this season, even if he let's say went I don't know, twelve and nine, which would actually be a lot of wins for him, um, let's say he went thirteen and nine and pitched the whole season with his one ERA and struck out a zillion batters. I'd say, yeah, he probably gets it again. Well, I'm not asking you that. I'm
0: I'm asking you that year that he won the Cy Young Award, you said he deserved it. The team around him was horrible. So I guess you are able, you are capable of looking at a pitcher in a vacuum without the team around him. I guess that means.
6: Well, I mean, a lot of pitchers have won Cy Young Awards without having great teams around them, though. And that makes Jacob DeGrom a
0: great pitcher. Yes. Case closed, period. Done. And if you want Brian Cashman and Aaron Boone... Fine. But the fact of the matter is that the Mets have been appeared in a World Series more recently than the New York Yankees have. And it's not even close. Not even close. And by the way, Brian Cashman took over in 1998. Took over in 1998. Okay? That team in 98, 99, 2000, where I was 10, 11, and 12 years old. Right? 10, 11, and 12. I was born in 88. Those teams, those players were assembled by a different team. Guy, that was Gene Stick Michael's team. He scouted those guys, not Brian Cashman. So when you look at you know the the, the uh, what Brian Cashman has done since that period, it has been one World Series appearance and one World Series win in 2009, and that's unacceptable. And you're right, the acquisitions of Gallo and Rizzo at the deadline—it's going to make him look like a genius. But guess what? You don't have to be a genius to figure out the fact that the Yankees needed left-handed bats in that lineup. Power, left-handed bats. You don't have to be a, a genius to figure that out. You don't. We talked about it. You guys called me about it. Everybody knew it. So I don't want to hear it. You know, I think any GM could have been able to pull that off, to be honest with you. Any GM could have done it. Let's, let, how about we start to address the lack of, of pitching depth You got Garrett Cole in a game one, and then what? And then what? You look at the Dodgers and and their rotation. You tell me which one is better. And we could go year after year after year after year. The time has come. The Yankees need a change. That's it. And Aaron Boone as a manager on your team, that's like Luis Rojas 2.0. The computer spits out the output, and that's it. Okay, that's it. Meanwhile, Luke Voigt, I know it didn't matter last night because the Yankees' offense exploded. Luke Voigt hits almost 400 against Nathan Evaldi. Brett Gardner now is 179 against Nathan Evaldi. We'll give Brett Gardner the start, obviously. Let's just give Brett Gardner the start. Why? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. So come on. And, and you cannot compare players across different eras. You just can't do it in any sport. You can't compare Tom Brady and, I don't know, John Elway. I don't think you could do it. You can't compare Kyrie Irving and, uh, I, I don't know, I mean, Michael Jordan wasn't that long ago, but that's still technically a different era. You can't compare it. LeBron and him, you can't compare it. I mean, think about it. In, def- in, in basketball, they actually played defense in the 90s. They don't play defense anymore. You can't compare And as baseball, the the, the changes of of the consistency of that baseball, the juiced ball era, the steroid era, the the dead ball era is upon us. I mean, this is all within the past 10 years, 15 years at most. You just can't do it. You have to look at these pitchers in a vacuum. And while I understand the concern that DeGrom, you know, can't pitch a full season, he's injured, this and that, injuries happen nowadays. Pitchers are throwing faster and harder than they ever have before which has directly contributed, in my opinion, I'm no doctor, but that has directly contributed to Jacob DeGrom's injury, pitching 100 miles an hour. I mean, he had it wasn't even close. He threw the most 100 miles an hour or more pitches up until that point in the season, this season. It's clearly an issue. He has no control over it. He is still one of the best Mets pitchers to ever wear a Mets uniform. Period. Done. And hopefully... As a result of all that, I know he's got some Cy Young awards, but hopefully he can win a World Series with the team as well. And uh, I'm going to give you my Giants pick coming up. I'm going to put a live poll on Twitter at Coach MCCARTAN. And the question is going to be who wins, the Giants or the Falcons? I've got you guys coming up on The Fan. Welcome back to Danielle in the daytime here on The Fan. And just, you know, before we talk about the Giants really quick, and I see you guys on hold, um, we are using, by the way, the um, the contest phone number, 866-540-9326. Not the regular line. That is down. Uh, just one thing before we get to the Giants and your calls. You know, I looked up, this is New York Mets' top 50 career pitching leaders. I'm not trying to argue that Jacob DeGrom is better than Tom Seaver. They're, they pitched in two separate eras. But when you look at the, the um, how do I say this? The advanced metrics, right? For pitchers of the Mets, Jacob DeGrom, I, I, there's got to be, I didn't count these, uh, I guess, top 50 leaders. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 18, 27, 35. There's 35 categories that I'm looking at right now. Jacob DeGrom, right now, leads seven of them. He's got the lowest ERA ever for a pitcher of the Mets. Lowest walks and hits per... I mean, there's so many different things. If you wanted to look this up, strikeouts per nine innings pitch, he's got the most out of any Mets pitcher ever. Strikeout to, to walk ratio, he's got the best ratio of all Mets pitchers ever. Best adjusted ERA. Plus, I mean, fielding independent pitching, I love that. This is where they isolate the pitcher from the team that he plays on. Fielding independent pitching, his score... Is better than Tom Seaver. So I'm not saying that he's better than Tom Seaver. Jacob DeGrom, no doubt about it, period, is one of the best pitchers to ever pitch in a Mets uniform. Yeah, he hasn't won anything. The team hasn't been great around him, period. And now the Giants, I'm coming. Uh, here's my pick for the Giants. Okay. We've got the 0 2 Falcons are going to be at the 0 2 Giants tomorrow, 1 p.m. on Fox. As of this morning, when I checked, the Giants are actually three-point favorites in a game that they actually must win. And I kind of browsed the Giants injury report. I saw Evan Ingram on there. He was limited in practice every day this week with a calf injury. He's listed as questionable. Kenny Galladay was limited in practice every day this week with a hip. He's listed as questionable that was as of this morning. And then I also noted that Logan Ryan... Hamstring, and surprise, surprise, Kadarius Tony, Ankle, were also limited in practice every day this week. I think the last two should be ready to go tomorrow. It's not noted anywhere that they wouldn't be. But I expect this to be a close game. I'll give you uh, my three takes here. Ready? One, I expect and I hope for the Giants defense to play less zone coverage And to match up more in man situations. I mean, for a Giants defense that has stacked guys like Jabril Peppers, Adoree Jackson, James Bradbury, who's coming off a Pro Bowl season. Can someone please tell me why Patrick Graham is insistent upon providing soft, prevent-like coverage? I mean, in what world are they preventing? What are they preventing for the entire duration of, of the entire game? In week two? Washington allowed only one sack. One. And Taylor Heineke completed 74% of his passes. This ain't it. This is not the formula to success. Success, if you're the Giants, fix it. And number two, Graham Gano was a superstar in week two. In fact, he accounted for 17 of the Giants' points. 17 of their 29 points. And that cannot happen again. This offense needs to put up points tomorrow which leads me to number three, Daniel Jones. Last week on the ground, nine carries, 95 yards, 10.6 yards per catch, carry. That's more than Saquon Barkley, like three times more almost than Saquon Barkley, yards per attempt and carry. And then last week through the air, wow, Daniel Jones is hoping to build on us. A 102.2 rating with a touchdown and zero interceptions. And his old boys, Slayton and Shepard led the way. And then Kenny Galladay did not like it, blew up on the sideline, but he wasn't wrong. Kenny Galladay was targeted eight times, caught only three of them. And here's the thing. Daniel Jones was among the best, if not the best, deep thrower in the league last season. Deep, as defined as over 20 yards in the air. So I went to NFL's next-gen stats, and I noted that the Giants have big thrown, and, and Jason Garrett has called, and the Giants have thrown exactly three deep passes this entire season so far. Three. Just three. And yes, the Falcons defense sacked Tom Brady three times last week, hit him five times. But they also allowed five touchdown passes and a quarterback rating of 129.2. In the two games, they they give up. The Falcons defense gi- gives up four on average four touchdown passes each week. And they pick off zero footballs each week. Throw it deep. Open the playbook. Throw it downfield. Crying out loud. I'm going to be yelling at Jason Garrett, too, through the TV. And the run defense of the Falcons isn't great this year either so far. I'm also going to be watching the Giants' ability to cover the tight end or inability. They are really never really able to do it. And Kyle Pitts would naturally then be a – Matchup nightmare for the Giants. So, with all that said, which will be the team to put one in the win column for the first time this season? Will it be the Giants? Will it be the Atlanta Falcons? I put up a poll. Let me see what you guys said first. Okay, we got two minutes left in this poll. 76% of you guys are picking the New York Giants, and this is at Coach MCC, A-R-T-A-N. 76% of you guys are picking the Giants. And I am, too. Giants 24, Falcons 17 is my score prediction. All right, and we will go to the phones. Again, this is the contest number, 866-540-9326. Michael in Fairfield, Connecticut, you're up on the fan. Yes, hi, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes, but you have to take me off speakerphone. Yeah, there we go.
5: Okay, sorry. Um, Okay, I just wanted to... um make a comment about the Yankees. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm I'm a Mets fan, but I I admire about the way they're going about this, and uh, I think eventually they're going to get there. Uh, Like they say, it doesn't uh, matter how you uh, get to the dance. It's how, you know, it's getting there. Right.
0: You You just got to get in, right? Anything can happen. I get you.
5: Yeah. I I remember my prom. I I drove a 17-year-old car with a hood that was tied closed. (laughs) I wore a suit that looked like the one that... Joe Pesci wore in my cousin Vinny, and I went with a big girl that may or may not have cared about personal hygiene, but you know what? I made it. And I think the Yankees have momentum and uh, things are look,
7: looking good moving forward.
0: Well, that, that has got to be the weirdest analogy I've ever heard for, uh, for the, the Yankees to, to get into the, uh, into the dance there and make it happen. I mean, I'm glad you had a, you got a good time at prom. I'm glad you went and everything. At what point do you just kind of, Never mind. I won't even go down there. Um, but it is true. I, I do believe that that once the Yankees get in, and I talked about it before, the reinforcements coming in that bullpen, the Yankees are are married to that strategy. They're married to it. Get five innings out of your starting pitcher and then let the bullpen eat the rest of it up. I mean, they've got some some reinforcements locked and loaded in that bullpen. Severino, Herman, and I believe Luizaga will be ready by Tuesday or Wednesday. So we'll see what happens. Torres is hot. Stanton's hot. I mean, it's just any one of these guys can get hot at any moment. And that if I'm an opposing pitcher, that's what I'm scared about. That's what I'd be afraid about. Hey, but that's just me. Let's go. Michael in Elmwood Park. You're up next.
8: Danny, thanks for taking my call. Yeah, thanks for um, making it. Let like let listen to what you're saying and before we get into the, the giant stuff, I can't even stomach that. My blood pressure is boiling as it is. I got to go revert back to my Yankees. I'm a right field bleacher creature for decades. All right. And, you know, we, we get the true feeling of these guys out there. Let's be honest with you. I want to revert back to something you said before. Like, for example, with Gardy.
4: Mm-hmm.
8: Okay. You know, at this point in time, and I've said it before in a fan, we're dealing with a bunch, a bunch of individuals on this team that got to be constantly babysat. And our babysitter is actually horrendous. You know, going back to when we had that 13 and 0 run. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's up right at that point. That's up to the manager to continue that momentum, that consistency and do whatever he's got to do to pump people up. I will take a guardie any day. I will, I would give anything for a guy with like Paul O'Neill with his passion to be back in this game again, because I don't see it. And we should not be in this position right now. The Yankees should not be in this game-by-game game situation coming down to the wire. It should not have happened. There's no way. And you know the thing, too, is, okay, Sanchez, he's been playing so bad, okay, Torres. All of a sudden, they have, like, one breakout game, and it's like we're about to give them their their pass again for another few weeks. Yeah, no. Until they let us down again.
0: hmm
8: You know? You're right. I mean, it, it's it, it's so disheartening. It's disheartening that... This, these, these bunch of individuals don't gel and they don't play as a team. There's no team effort here,
5: well, you know? And, Michael, and the
8: funny thing was listening to yeah. the fans go back and forth about Cashman mm-hmm. and Boone. Now, before the 13-game streak, we're calling for their heads, they were right? Mm-hmm. Then we go on the 13-game winning streak. <laughs> people are like, man, these guys are geniuses, <laughs> right? Then we go 2-10 and, <laughs> and everything goes out the window again. <laughs> yeah. you know, It's we, the roller gotta, coaster. That's you know, been the is, Yankees, yeah. It's all about cleaning house. You know as well as I do, Danny. If we get in, you know, the way things are structured right now, and like you said, this one's coming back, that one's coming back, let's play to our strengths. Do you really think we're going to go anywhere?
0: Yeah,
8: no, no. Do you really think we're going to go anywhere? I don't. And, and my last question, Danny, before you're coming mm-hmm. off. <laughs>
7: yeah. Who,
8: who is Boone's replacement? Well, here's who thing. Who le- legitimately, legitimately would be your choice would, would you bring in Buck? Would you bring Buck back?
0: All right, Michael, let me ask you a question before I answer that. So, Brett Gardner, yep. I agree with you. I love the heart. I do. I do. But I think the mm-hmm. the banging of the dugout, I think, is a little excessive, all that, right? But me, I, I <laughs> like those guys on the team. I do. And who's to say that they don't yeah. have that? I mean, Judge called the meeting, that that players-only meeting, yes. right? Okay, but yes. right now, as the way this team is constructed right now, I prefer Brett Gardner in the dugout than on the field at this point.
8: Okay, that's Okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah. Okay. I think he's going to stay with the organization for a long time, in whatever capacity it is he needs to. Sure. You know, that's fine. But I mean, who's going to who's going to be our skipper? Well, you know, uh, you know, when people come back and say, "Oh, we should have kept Girardi," I don't think that's the case at all. Yeah. No. I I I think they should have kept. I think they.
0: No. I don't care who who cares about his personality. The guy brought the a, a, a team that was coming up, the Baby Bombers. No one expected anything from them. He brought them to within one game of the World Series against the cheating Astros. Joe Girardi was, was the guy. The reason why they got rid of Joe Girardi, thanks for the call there, Michael. The reason why they got rid of Joe Girardi is because he apparently didn't get along with uh, Gary Sanchez. Who cares? Gary Sanchez stinks. He stunk then, and he, stunk, he stinks now. They made the wrong move there. And, and, and firing a guy who played the position, trying to help a guy, coach a guy, through something, was the wrong move. Totally wrong. Totally wrong. And then the question of Boone's replacement. Listen, first of all, there is no vacancy for the New York Yankees managerial position, none. And I can't sit here and say a name right now because things are going to change drastically between now and the end of the World Series. I- I'm not giving you a name right now. That's it. I'm not being backed into a corner. What I do want, I can give you qualifications. I do want a guy that has experience uh, in a big market. I do want a guy that manages both from the gut with applying some of the some of the metrics, but more so manages from the gut with informed decisions from the metrics. Those are like the two main qualities that I would ask for um, right now in a manager of the Yankees. And I don't think um, Aaron Boone is either of them. So I'm not being backed into a corner. I'm not saying a name until, one, the position is empty, and two, all the candidates are in front of me. That's it. Because I like to be right, as you guys know. Um, And I don't want to put a name out now on September 25th, et cetera, et cetera. You guys know the drill. Okay, so um, I'm also now going to put up a short poll. Jets, Broncos, I got my prediction coming up. And, of course, more of your calls at uh, 866-540-9326. Welcome back to Danielle in the Daytime. Isn't this fun, Danielle in the Daytime here on The Fan In New York City. Got John and Susan with the New York Yankees pregame show coming up at 3.30. We are using the contest line, not the regular phone number. So that is 866-540-9326. And if you cannot get through, I am looking at Twitter right now on my phone and on the computer, honestly. So you guys can tweet me at Coach MCCARTAN. If you don't have Twitter, you can go on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Coach McCartney. I also, I don't have that open right now. Facebook makes it kind of difficult. But anyway, so uh, we'll get to your calls in a sec. I got to do my Jets-Broncos preview. I put a poll up online that is closing in. Let's see. Jets poll is closing in seven minutes. So you guys go ahead and get your votes in at Coach mcc Here we go. As of this morning, when I checked, the Jets were 10.5-point underdogs against the Broncos in Denver. I think that's all you really need to know. This Broncos wide receiver group is a matchup nightmare even without Jerry Judy. I mean, you saw Cortland Sutton. He went off. Cortland Sutton went off against the Jaguars last week. Nine receptions, 159 yards. Maybe you played him in your fantasy fantasy league. Now you know about him. Maybe you have him on your team. Good for you. I mean, the defensive unit for the Jets actually played pretty well last week. I mean, they came up with Some big stops, like even in the red zone. The offense for the Jets is the problem. Boring football is the game plan, clearly, offensively, and it is not a decoy. I mean, it can't get much worse for Zach Wilson, could it? I mean, a rating of a lowly 37 last week, four interceptions, zero touchdowns. I mean, there was a point deep into the second quarter with 550 left in the half where Zach Wilson was two for five with three interceptions. That means he completed two passes to his team, the green team, and three to the other team, the blue team. That spells B-A-D bad. I am not hopeful for a Jets victory. I mean, did you see the Broncos' defense against the Giants? The Jets' offense has only scored 20 points over the last two games. Zach Wilson has been sacked 10 times on 20 blitzes. Zach Wilson has been hurried 17 times and hit 5 times in 32 pressures. The Broncos' defense is good. And then Robert Sala said this week that the Jets' defense gave up inopportune explosives in their last game. Well, get ready for more inopportune explosives again this week. It sounds like a uh, a disease. Inopportune explosives. <laughs> well, get ready for more of them this week, Jets' defense, because uh, the, uh, the Broncos have got it going on. I just made myself laugh. I hope you guys are laughing, too. I thought of... Uh, like a bathroom joke there, inopportune, explosive. <laughs> and then anyway, Zach Wilson said this week, uh, when I signed up for this job to come here, by the way, he didn't sign up for anything. The Jets picked him, so okay. I knew there was going to be adversity. That's the understatement of the century, right? So Robert Sell said that he is in a good place, that talking of, uh, of Zach Wilson, he's in a good place. Okay, let's go to the Twitter, see what you guys said. 82% of you guys are picking the Broncos to win this game. I am too. Broncos 30. Jets 17 is my pick. Broncos 30. Jets 17. I shouldn't even go 17 for the Jets, but that means two touchdowns and a field goal. Nah, let's just keep it. Let's keep it. Jets 17 or less is what I'll say. <laughs> Broncos 30. Jets 17. All right, back to your calls at the contest number. Which is eight six six five four zero nine three two six. Bill in Pennsylvania, you are up on the fan. Hello. Hi.
1: Hey, how you doing? Great. How are you? I just good. Good. I wanted to talk about Brian Cashman. Mm-hmm. Um, I keep hearing you mention that he's only won one World Series. Mm-hmm. And it was with a. Um, it was with uh, Stick Michael's team. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian Cashman came on in nineteen ninety eight. So. He was part of the 2001 World Series, part of the 98 World Series, and the 2009 World Series. So
0: he went to Panama, I guess, and found uh, Mariano Rivera. He was the one.
1: No, no, but oh, he oh. was the GM in 1998. Yeah, so. and 2009 team didn't really have much to do with G- with stick besides the core.
0: It, it's just like when when you take over something that was like, how do I say this? Like 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 I can think of like principals in my in a school. I can liken it to this: if you are a brand new principal and you come in and you've taken over a good system with good teachers and all that, after a while, if you're a bad principal, it'll show because of the hirings that you make, for example. That's kind of right. what Brian I mean, we, we talked about how, and somebody made this point before, I want to give him credit on Twitter, uh, that Bob Krantz, he said, I'm buckling over over here, I can't stop laughing. He tweeted me this, Brian Cashman is being considered a genius for fixing a team that he messed up in the first place. Who put the team out there with all the right-handed batters in the first place? That's a great point. Well, the
1: problem for the Yankees has always been pitching, and they've never been able to find that pitcher. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know if somebody else is going to come in and be able to do that. But well, right. Another thing that Yankee fans need to be careful of is be careful what you wish for because mm-hmm. Gary Sanchez is probably better than twenty catchers in the majors right now.
0: Yeah, but how many? With times all his flaws, how many times can you can you stomach and the ball gets by Sanchez? I can't. I can't do it anymore. Mm. At this point, at this point, Uh, if I were the Yankees, I would actually opt for a defensive-minded catcher. Higashioka, for example. He's got a little pop in his bat. Because you don't need that. You have a roster up and down of guys that can do that. Right?
1: Right. That Brian Cashman brought in.
0: Right. Sure.
1: So... Sure. All right. I, I just think people should be careful what they wish for because okay. we might have uh, Mandy Mal- Mandy Maldonado batting 1- 105 behind the plate. You got
0: year. it. You got it. And, and i be crying about that. Bill, I appreciate that. <laughs> I appreciate the perspective. Sure. Every GM. I mean, there is no GM that is terrible, zero, terrible. There, There isn't one. You know? Of course they're going to, I don't know, uh... How do I say this? Like, yes, they have their pluses in there. Look at Dave Gettleman. Dave Gettleman signed Graham Gano long-term. Great move. Dave Gettleman ma- signed Blake Martinez and this entire Giants defense. Also good move. I know they're not playing like it, but that's a good unit out there. But then people question Saquon Barkley at, at that position. You know, it's just every every GM has their pluses and their minuses. I just think that the Yankees have employed the wrong, let, let's back, let, zoom out here. I think the Yankees have employed the wrong strategy for too long. And I think Brian Cashman, I mean, who you, you're not going to fire Harold Steinbrenner, right? So I think that Brian Cashman has to take uh, um, the onus on that. Their team is, is feast or famine at the plate. He constructed it. Their team has one ace starter. He constructed that. I mean, and the money talked. I mean, the, the money was it for Garrett, Garrett Cole. I mean, the money talked for him. It wasn't like it was a trade deal. It was a signing. So what I'm trying to say is there are pluses and minuses to every GM. I just think that the time has come for Brian Cashman. It's just it. You look at the Rays, how that team is constructed, and you tell me that the Yankees are a better team than that team. They're not. Spoiler alert. They're not. We've got a Pete McCarthy update and more of your... Welcome back to Danielle in the daytime here on the fan in New York city. There are about 28 minutes left in the program or less. So this is your cue to call again. The, the uh, regular phone number isn't working. I know. I know crazy. Right. So we're going to use the contest contest phone number 866-540-9326. Quick note. Maybe you saw it. Maybe you didn't see it. Did anybody see Conor McGregor's first pitch? at that, uh, uh, the Chicago Cubs game at Wrigley Field. I mean, there have been some bad ones in the history of the history of first pitches. I mean, I think George Bush's, politics aside, I think George Bush's, after that 9-11 uh, attack and on the field at Yankee Stadium and the full armor from the rubber, Derek Jeter told him he had to do it from the rubber. I think that is among the best first pitches ever. But when you look at Conor McGregor, I mean, he rivals uh, 50 Cent for worst first pitch in the history of histories. <laughs> I'm going to retweet this from uh, from John Boy. I'm going to hit retweet here so you can see it. It's at Coach MCCARTAN. And Conor McGregor, who is a-, a gifted athlete, right? I mean, was flailing all over the place. He's a lefty, and it just literally ended, like, people behind the home plate I know there's a net there, but people were ducking out of the way. That's how bad it was. So I just retweeted it, and he didn't know what to do afterwards. <laughs> he didn't know whether he should laugh or, or what. Just retweeted that. Conor McGregor's first pitch. Maybe his suit was too tight. I mean, I'm surprised he didn't rip his pants, to be honest with you. They looked that tight. And the jacket as well. Maybe next time he's going to do it without, without the jacket on, at least. It took the catcher uh, quite some time to locate the ball and bring it back to him to take the, the photo, so that's embarrassing. I mean, it wasn't even close. He shrugged. <laughs> so, go ahead, and you guys can get a laugh out of that as well. So, we will go back to your calls. And then John and Susan with the Yankee pregame show will be coming your way at 3.30. Let's go. Sparky in Dobbs Ferry, you're up next on The Fan.
7: Well, how are you doing today, Coach? I'm great. How are you? Good. Now, before a fellow called before mentioning how the Braves have won only one World Series with those great starting yes. pitches. Mm-hmm. There's one reason and only one reason why they only won one World Series. What's that? The Yankees had Mariano Rivera mm-hmm. and the Braves didn't. Yep. Okay. Two of their closers, Mark Wallers and John Rocker. That's it. Okay.
4: Yeah.
7: I mean. Great point. Cause I'll tell you something. if the Braves had Mariano, they could have beat us very, not easily, of course, but they, that Mariano was vital. I mean it changed he changed everything now you also mentioned before about um you know the Yankees you know getting a defensive catcher. Yankee history proves how that works because in nineteen ninety five Mike Stanley was their catcher. the guy got hit, but the pitchers hated throwing to him, so they traded to Joe Girardi and look what happened. Mm-hmm. their pitching staff improved immensely, okay, yeah, so. And um, my Eli Manning points, two of them, which I love about him, even though I'm a Jet fan. Think about this. Think how arrogant Belichick and Tom Brady would have been Mm -hmm. if they had finished that season undefeated. Imagine. Yep. Yeah, how arrogant. Okay? And also, the thing with Eli... Eli might have more class than any professional athlete I've seen. Because, you know, before he won, he had two teammates who actually publicly criticized him in Michael Strahan and Tiki Barber, yet he just let it roll down his back and went on playing his game.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and as a Jet fan, you can certainly appreciate uh, the fact that the, the Patriots and Tom Brady and Belichick and whatever you think about them, they were not able to complete an undefeated season. That's a great point. And I think every – I think when you look at, like, the map of the United States and, like, the people that were rooting for the Patriots, like, picture the map of the United States, right? Only the people, like, in New England were actually rooting for the Patriots to win that that Super Bowl. I think if you look at the map of the United States, most everybody, whether you're a fan of the Jets, Giants, most random team Seattle Seahawks I mean you were rooting for the Giants to win that Super Bowl because you didn't want to see Tom Brady and Bill Belichick go undefeated of course and the rest of their team yeah great point good point let's go Dennis in Woodbridge you're up next on the fan
3: uh, good afternoon Danielle
9: hey so Dennis a, what's a, a up a couple points I've, a couple things you were talking about very interesting to me I'm, as I'm driving home from umpiring baseball games oh
0: I love it um, how'd it go today
9: yeah so uh, Well, I'm doing tournament ball at this real good facility in Flemington, New Jersey, Diamond Nation. Do a lot of really good baseball games there after the high school season's over. Um, You're talking about Gary Sanchez. One guy says there's probably 20 catchers better than him. He's by by far the worst defensive catcher I've ever seen, and he has a good arm. I'll give him that. He He does have a good arm, arm. yes. A, A high school catcher would be pulled from the game for backhanding a ball in front of
0: him, yes, you have to drop and block the ball. Well, that's the problem. The, the he's play, doing this. They, he's doing this with the one knee thing. This is that's the problem. There is no dropping. It, he's already it, halfway you, there. You
9: learn that stuff when you're starting high school. It's ridiculous.
5: Earlier, the play against the even Mets earlier,
9: might have been the worst. The play against the Mets might have been the worst play I've ever seen in my life. When the guy was out by ten steps, yes, and, and he shied away, and then yep. he slid in.
0: Yep, and, and, he, and he went for the I mean, head on the tag. You were taught in literally, like, farm division baseball when you're in, like, third grade, did not it, tag at the head.
9: If, if I had a catcher in a high school game with Gary Sanchez, I'd go to the coach. Coach, could you please get someone to block the ball for right. me before I get killed? Dennis, I was going to ask you that, is, too, because exactly.
0: I used to umpire, and it, I hated the, the catchers oh. that couldn't catch the ball, and I would get hit arm, leg, ankle. It was a pain well, in the you butt. Know,
9: when you when you first start out at the youth level, you have to deal with that. Yes, um, I'm lucky enough now to get good varsity games. Yep, and, um, in, a, in a couple of good conferences, and the and the catches are very good. Mm-hmm. They block the ball. If they don't, the coach would pull them out of the game. Right. I mean, it's that bad. If they pull the Gary Sanchez, they would get pulled out of the game. Yep, it, it's it's that bad. Um, wait, one other point you were talking about? Wait, Dennis. Before we, before we yeah, move yeah, on to that, ahead.
0: I just want to make the point of saying once more that. It says a lot when your number one pitcher Garrett Cole and your number two supposed pitcher Corey Kluber prefer to pitch to Kyle Higashioka than Gary Sanchez. That's all I'll say.
7: Well,
9: yeah, and before I go on to my met point, I didn't know that um, Girardi had the problem with Sanchez. I never heard that, but it makes that one makes all the sense in the world. I mean, read between if the he lines, was a good right? defensive catcher. Right. Well, right. if he was a good defensive catcher, and he was. You know, that's got to bother the, the hell out of him watching Gary Sanchez catch. Because yes. I'm sure he tried to work on him, teaching him the p- proper methods, right. and, and he, he just right. never did it mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Yep. He's still backhand yep. balls in front of him. The guy's been catching his whole life, so I, I can't comprehend why he catches like that. Yep. Um, so the one for you're talking about comparing Seaver and DeGrom, and I'm almost 63 years old, so I've been lucky enough to see both of them. Uh, it's a coin flip who's a better pitcher in their prime. But the one thing I remember about Tom Seaver, if it was a nine inning game, a ten inning game, he was there for the whole game. Right. And that has to matter for something because, um, you know, a few years ago, that was Madison Bumgardner's claim to fame. Well, in a big game, he wasn't coming out of the game. Mm-hmm. And, um, I don't know what's changed, what's evolved in the last 20, 30 years. Oh, the analytics. That, that's an top easy top answer,
0: top... Dennis. Come on. The analytics tell you what? you can't third time through the order. they You know, they're not as effective third time through the order. Or X, Y, Z, there's so many different reasons to pull these guys that they don't allow them to pitch well, like that anymore.
9: Uh-oh. Well, Tom Schaver was effective the third times through the order. I'll tell you that. Yeah, in a
0: different era, yeah, for huh? sure. And Dennis, yeah, well, th- thanks know. for the call there, Dennis. I appreciate always hearing from umpires because I used to be one myself, so uh, I appreciate that. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. All right, thanks. Yeah, so listen, you guys, we're not going down the rabbit hole of comparing pitchers in different eras, quarterbacks in different eras, point guards in different eras. Take your pick. You know, setters in volleyball in different eras, we're not doing it. Because it, it's... it's Things change. Things evolve. Analytics has infiltrated baseball. Analytics in in, in baseball has... From every aspect of baseball, evolve the game. I mean, th- someone tweeted before, Michael Inagri, I think, tweeted me before, and he said there's a reason why p- batters don't hit 400 anymore. Like, yeah, because the game has evolved. And we are not, we were not comparing Seaver and DeGrom. Other than to say that they are among two of the very best pitchers to ever wear a Mets uniform. We're not comparing them. Connor, we're not taking any more calls about comparing any player from, you know, other shows might do it. I don't like doing it because there are glaring differences between, I mean, look at football. You can't compare Tom Brady and, let's say, uh, John Elway. The football, National Football League changed the rules to slant it, to score more, to, to benefit the offenses and, uh, and the quarterbacks. No more quarterbacks are getting laid out anymore. You can't even touch a wide receiver pass, whatever it is, 10 yards. That has slanted in the favor of Tom Brady. I mean, it's, it's just a natural evolution of the game. So we are not going to compare that. Please, let's not do that. Okay, let's go Jason in Milford, Connecticut. You're up next on The Fan. Jason! All right, Jason, you're going to have to give us a call back there, man. And again, you guys, that, that, the phone number we're using is 866-540-9326. Not the regular phone number. It is down. Let's go Mickey in Massachusetts. You're up on the fan, Mickey. Hi, Danielle. Thanks for taking my call. Hey, thanks for making
10: it. Uh, I'm glad about your last comment. Um, I wanted to talk about Montgomery's year. Yeah, and then a quick po- and then a quick comment on Sanchez and Torres. Go ahead. So the thing you just mentioned, I, I this drives me crazy. I'm on a Yankee blog, Yankee fans online, mm-hmm. and you know, so many of these people they're downgrading Montgomery because they're living in the past.
0: What do you there mean by are that?
10: Two pictures... Well, there are two pitches this year right now that have 200 innings. There's about five or six more. I looked this up this morning mm-hmm. that maybe might make 200 based on their last one or two starts.
0: Montgomery's Complete not games,
10: one of them. I no, 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 yeah, no. I, like I thought that's where we're going.
0: I was like, nope. no. No, no,
10: no. <laughs> okay. So where I'm, with, where I'm going with this is yeah. I looked up mostly every stat. Okay, Montgomery's ERA is, what, 3.59? I think he's 23rd in all of baseball with starting pitches out of, what, 150 to 180 pitches this sure, year?
0: about,
10: sure. Um, his average start is 5.1 innings. Mm-hmm. I looked this up also. I was a little shocked. Mm-hmm. I thought the average start would be about six innings. Yes. It's five.
8: Yep,
0: exactly,
10: okay? exactly. And his. He had 17 starts in a row. I just heard this the other day. I couldn't believe it, mm-hmm. where they scored three runs or less for him. Mm-hmm. That was before his last start. Um, 17. It's unbelievable. The guy's record conservatively this year should be like 12 and 4. Yeah. You know, and, and personally, I love the guy. I think he's finally coming into his own this year, mm-hmm. and he's young, and I hope. I think the bar could be very high for him if he continues this progression. The guy's got great slow stuff. I'm not comparing him to Whitey Ford, believe me. I'm 70 years old, but he reminds me of a Whitey Ford Jr. He's got great stuff. And, you know, these people don't realize, you know, they're saying, oh, he's a fourth or fifth starter. No, no. This year he would be on most teams, excluding a few, like the Dodgers. Mm-hmm. He would be a second or a third yeah. on most
0: teams. Agreed, yes.
10: I mean, I, I love the guy. You know, real quick about um, Torres. Yes, because we
0: got to hit the break 24 really years old. Yeah.
10: 24 years old. Put him in his regular position next year. I think you'll be very pleased with what this guy does. We know he has the bat. He needs to be at second. Yep. Sanchez reminds me of Greg Bird. The experiment is over.
5: over. He's terrible. Yeah.
10: Done over. deal. Done. Um, you know, he's got to go. He, he's got to go. they got to get a shortstop, keep Glaber at second, and get a catcher and both man, yeah. get rid of uh, Cashman. His time, Cashman's time has come. I love the guy. He brought us five championships. How can you not like him? <laughs> but you know what? His time has come. He's yeah. not dealing with today's game
0: properly. Right, Mikey. So, great points anyway. there, Mickey. Thanks. I appreciate it. Keeping that okay. short and sweet. Okay. Appreciate it. Um, and Gleyber Torres, By the way, before we talked about his arbitration years, I just looked it up as you were talking. He's got. Uh, he's not an. Uh, he's not a free agent until the season of twenty twenty five. You're going to see Glaver Torres at, at second base next season. You mark my words and his words. And we've got a Yankee lineup. Let's talk about that, and we'll take some of your last calls coming up here on The Fan. Again, it is at uh, 866-540-9326, and if you cannot get through, you guys can tweet me at Coach CoachMCCARTAN. All right, we're back real quick here, you guys. 3.30, the Yankee pregame show comes your way. I see you guys on haul. If you can just keep your points to short, succinct, we have exactly six minutes to go. Here is the lineup for the Yankees. We've got Brett Gardner leading off, playing center field. Aaron Judge playing right field. Batting third, Rizzo at first. Cleaning up, D.H. Stanton. Batting fifth, left fielder Gallo. Batting sixth, second baseman, Glaber Torres. Batting seventh, catcher Sanchez. Batting eighth, third baseman, Ruk Neto Dor. And batting ninth, shortstop, Gio Urshela. couple things. Voight is on the bench. D.J. LeMahieu is on the bench. Not sure why on either of the two of them. Unless D.J. LeMahieu was hurt. I mean, the Yankees had an off day on Thursday. It's not like it's a rest thing for him. So I don't understand that move. This is a must-win game for the Yankees, obviously. Must win. And they're throwing out, and, and Boone and his computers are throwing out. Gardner leading off again in center field. And Odor at third base. Not sure what those things are about. I would have I would have an outfield of Stanton, Gallo, and uh, and Judge, right? And then I'd have Voit as the DH. That's what I would do. And unless DJ Lemayu is hurt, I don't know, man. More on that, I'm sure, coming up in in the Yankee pregame show. Let's go mow down these calls here. Let's go, Ryan and Bridgewater. You're up on the fan.
5: Hey, what do you think the odds are the Mets signing Beltran?
7: as a coach. Yeah,
0: I was going to say as a player zero, <laughs> but Ryan as a as as a manager Ryan and, and thanks for keeping that short. I appreciate that. Um I think the odds are improving each and every day with each and every passing day. I think the odds of Beltron being the Mets manager are improving every day. I think he would be a benefit and I'm not saying that's the right move. I wouldn't do it, but I think he would be a benefit to a, a superstar with a huge contract like Francisco Lindor who's struggling etcetera. cetera, et cetera. So I think, um, I think if Luis Rojas were to vacate that position, either be, by, be, by quitting or being fired, I think uh, Carlos Beltran makes a ton of sense for the Mets. Not that I would condone it. Not that I would, uh, you know, co-sign that. But I think, uh, I think that's the, rex- the direction they're going to go. Ed and Elizabeth, you're up next on The Fan.
11: Hi, Daniel. How are you doing? Um, your competitive radio station announced that DJ LeMayo has a hip and a groin injury, that's why he's not playing.
0: Got it. I, I was looking at the Yankees' Twitter, so a hip and a groin. Okay, well then, well then he deserves the day off. Appreciate that, yeah. Good Good find.
11: Well, uh, and what, long last thing. That guy who said we, we're going to pay for what we get for Gary Sanchez, i tell you what, I wouldn't have him catch, catch my travel team. That's how bad he is. Yeah, terrible. Um, yep. And here's, here's another thing, okay? You brought up a great point. Why do your number one and two pitchers want to throw to uh, Higashioka? Mm-hmm. And that person that brought up Joe Girardi, great point. To put two defensive catches behind the plate. you got Higashioka, and if you got to get someone else for next year, so do it. And that shortstop, I'll be honest. I don't think – don't, they don't have to go for a big money guy. you got two right in your farm system, Velasquez and Volpe. And I know I spoke with Marco Malucci earlier in the week. He said he's not ready. Well – they're I, not. Play five, I mean, Vol- I Volpe's not till
0: 2023 ready. He, he, they can't skip him that far up, and, and I appreciate it. And, and I know that's a long-term thing. I get it, but it's a long-term plan. The Yankees, you know, they're built kind of to win now. And Volpe, he could be great. I love it. Nice Italian-American, he's going to be great. Sure, fine. But that's not till 2023, at least, to see him at shortstop for the Yankees. And last one of the day, the Mariano Rivera. You're a Yankee fan, Rich. You are the Mariano Rivera of the show for today. Rich in Springfield, you're up next on The Fan.
5: Danielle, I have to agree 100% with you on everything. Ga- Gary Sanchez's bat could never be big enough to compensate for his abysmal defensive play. That play against the Mets took the words right out of my mouth. I texted my cousin right after the play. I said, could you imagine Sanchez didn't like Girardi? Could you imagine if Girardi was managing that team and he made that play? Mm-hmm. Sanchez would have been in the trainer's room crying. Okay? <laughs> yeah. What a disaster. The Yankees are abysmal. They started the season with no their center fielder got hurt. They knew Gary Sanchez was a mess. And what did we have? What do we have in September? We have two first basemen, we have two second basemen. Our second baseman is playing third base. Our third baseman is playing shortstop. They still don't have a center fielder. Yep. Gardner belongs in the dugout. And Sanchez is a disaster. I will listen to your response.
0: Yeah, Rich, you nailed it. And thanks for keeping that short and succinct. And, and here's the other thing, too. If you're a pitcher, right, and you're looking at Gary Sanchez behind the plate and he calls for, let's just say, a sinker or something in the dirt, if you're a pitcher on the Yankee staff, there's a level of confidence there that, like, I, I liken it to, like, a video game, like the confidence meter, like, above, like, a player, right? So the, the confidence meter that a pitcher would have in a catcher, I guarantee you it's not full if there's a pitch called for in the dirt, I wouldn't want to throw a pitch in the dirt. And then you like short arm the ball and then it goes by the catcher anyway because he stinks. That's the kind of thing we're talking about. Zach Britton lives in the bottom of the zone. I know he's not pitching anymore this season, but you know what I'm saying? There's a level of confidence that is also destroyed by the fact that he can't get in front of a ball. He cannot move laterally because his one knee is down. That's a problem. Okay, sure. So he, the way, the reason why his knee is down is so he can frame pitches better. Okay, but, Framing pitchers better versus blocking a ball with a runner on second or third base. I'm t- I'm telling you to pick your knee up and, and squat in a, in a traditional catcher's position. I mean, seriously, for the mobility factor alone. And not to mention the confidence factor in the pitcher. If you throw it inside or outside like a Conor McGregor, you're done for. You're just done for. And by the way, I'm sitting here in a hat. I got I got a quick thing before the music starts here. A quick little gift from Michael Inagri from Florida. It's a uh, New York Yankees um Feel the dreams cap, so I got that on right now. Connor looks good, right? <laughs> it does, yeah. Very fashionable. So thanks to Michael and Agri, I got a little, little, little uh, fun in my in my mailbox when I got here today, which is great. So um, we'll see what the Yankees do today. I, I you know, okay. And then one more time, the reason why DJ Lemay not in the order Is because he's injured. Got it, got it. Everybody, we understand that and um, we'll see what happens. That that could be a huge blow for the Yankees moving forward. All right, so thanks to all the callers and your cooperation on calling the other phone number, not the regular one. You guys are great, and I could not have done this without you. I love coming here talking with you guys, especially in the daytime. If you miss any portion of today's show, you can hit that Odyssey apps rewind feature and select the start of the show, which was 1 p.m. Connor Green, awesome job behind the, phone, uh, behind the glass on the phones, on the music and everything today. And also to Pete McCarthy on the updates. I'll be back with you guys Saturday, 6 to 10 p.m. Mark it down. Hopefully we're talking about a Yankees playoff berth. And I'll bring my trumpet. The Mets will be eliminated by then, I'm sure. Yankees pregame show with John and Susan are up next. In the meantime, you can ha- guys can hit me up on social media at Coach McCartan and Facebook.com slash CoachMcCarton. And we will keep the conversation going up through next Saturday. Have a great week and enjoy the football games tomorrow, everybody.
4: Sports Radio 101.9 FM. FM. WFN.